podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. Today is Monday the 18th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. Uh, lots of football over the weekend and lots of strange things went on. We'll jump straight in. Liverpool 5, Watford 0 at Vicarage Road. Dreadful performance from Watford. The first game under Claudio Ranieri. Uh, was a bit of a damp squib from a Watford point of view. Liverpool were absolutely sensational for the first 20 minutes and really could have been two or three up. Went 1-0 up through Sadio Mane. Mo Salah, who had decided he was going to spend his day embarrassing Danny Rose, began to do so earlier than that, knocking the ball by Rose and just running around him and leaving Rose panting away. For the Mane goal, he spins Rose brilliantly, and then plays the pass of the season with the outside of his left foot, bending it round the defenders into the path of Sadio Mane, who doesn't need to break stride, and makes it 1-0. Liverpool made it 2-0 on 37 minutes. Great team goal. Milner to Firmino. Back to Milner, into Mane. Milner makes the overlap, gets the ball back from Mane. Simple cross. And a lovely tap-in for Bobby Firmino from four yards. That first half, Liverpool absolutely dominated. And Watford struggled to string two passes together. In the first 20 minutes of the game, Liverpool had 206 passes and Watford had 19. Which will tell you the level of dominance from the visitors. Should have got into the break with a more comfortable lead. But 2-0 did the trick. Into the second half, Firmino makes it three on 52 minutes. Another tap-in, this time Craig Cathcart with the assist, tries to score past his own goalkeeper, but Ben Foster does well to save it. Ball drops to Firmino and he taps home. Two minutes later, Mohamed Salah, just wizardry, just absolute wizardry. Not quite as good as his goal against Manchester City, but a very similar goal. Dancing, leaving three defenders in his wake, leaving Craig Cathcart lying on the floor, getting the ball back on his left foot and just a lovely little clipped finish into the far corner. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. And Liverpool completed the route on 91 minutes. Firmino tapping home from a good cross from Nico Williams to complete what we call the Dirk Cout hat-trick. Hat-trick for Firmino, one for Mane, one for Salah. It's 
2017-18 all over again. And the Premier League should be really worried about that front three. Watford should be really worried about that performance, though. You look through that Watford team, and the only two who come out of that game with any credit, Ben Foster and Moussa Sissoko. Foster made some big saves, even though he got beaten five times. No shame in that. Sissoko was doing all the running in midfield. Um, don't understand what Ranieri was thinking with his team, suge- team selection. Picking Danny Rose as one of the back three, yeah, really not ideal. Um, picking a two-man midfield to go against Liverpool's three, not ideal at all. And playing Ishmael Assar up front by himself, a very good player, not a striker, and not suited to playing with back to goal. So really, really didn't understand what Ranieri was thinking ahead of this game. He had two weeks to prepare, and that's what he came up with. Early signs are the change ha- is, hasn't worked. I mean, I know they were missing a couple of players for this game, but who were they bringing back in that was making a big difference? Do tell me who it was that missed that game for Watford that was going to make a big difference because none of the centre-backs they have injured are any good. Cabaselli's not any good. You know, he's not making a big difference to them. We've seen him play for many of the year. Maybe Siralta, maybe, but is he making that much of a difference? He would have played probably over Danny Rose, so yes, that would have been better, but Rose would have had to play wing back then. Um, and Colo, I mean, he's okay, but I mean, are you really banking on him? Etibo is one I do think they missed in midfield, his ability to just screen the defence and win the ball back. He's out for a couple of months. He's a big blow. Josh King was a blow in terms of missing someone who could play up front. But I just... I said when they came up, I didn't really understand the squad, didn't really understand them as a team. I stand by that. I don't understand why they change managers, especially at this point of the season, and especially to bring in Claudio Ranieri. I really don't understand what it is that goes on in the minds of those who operate the Watford Football Club. Um, It does seem like they, they live in a simulation where they just blow it up and start over. You know, like when you get a kid, you see them on YouTube, uh, FIFA rage videos, like they're playing and things aren't things are going okay, and then they concede a goal or they miss a big chance and they fling the controller across the room and announce that the game sucks and that it's corrupt and that you know someone's cheating them, and then they pick the controller back up and start again. You see Mark Goldbridge this as well. That's a man in his forties, let alone a kid. Um, but that's what Watford seemed like. You know, something goes against them. Well, let's start the game again. It's not really how it works, lads. And I know you've had some success with it in the past. But I have to say, I look at where Watford are and and where they appear to be going. And I don't have a lot of confidence that Watford are going to stay in the Premier League this season. If Claudio is in charge for any sustained period of time, I really don't see that as being... Um, being a likelihood because they have been okay this season but they looked appalling in this game now that same family own Granada Granada are currently fourth from bottom in the 
in La Liga. They did they did win at the weekend to move themselves out of the uh, bottom three, which was nice. You know, good for them to clamber their way out of the bottom three. Actually, did they sell that club? It looks like they did sell Granada. So I, I take that back. It does appear like they sold Granada. So credit to them. Yes, they, they sold the club to some Chinese family. Fair play. Uh, but they still own Udinese, who haven't been particularly good. Now, they're 10th in, in Serie A at the moment. A um, couple of draws in the last two games. But they lost three in a row before that. They were very poor last season. And this way of running clubs, I think, eventually has to catch up on them. I really do. I mean, you used to see Udinese in Europe. And they're just that they're a, a basement dweller now. Bottom half finishes year after year after year now for the last five and six years. And maybe they're happy enough with that. I don't know. But when Udinese had Di Natale in those, they were a European team. Now they're they're just awful. And Watford is the same thing. I mean, there's no plan. You speak to Watford fans, and you're like, what's the long-term plan for your club? And they're just like, I don't know. Buy players, sell players, buy some more. Get a manager. If it works, great. If it doesn't, just get someone else. Hope to survive in the Premier League. If not, go down into the Championship and hope to come back up. Seems to be a lot of hope involved. Not much planning. Not much in the way of a real idea of what you're meant to be doing. Maybe their hope is that they can, you know, eventually sell Watford for a substantial profit. I don't know, but either way, like, you have to look at that club and, and feel sorry for their fans because it, it can't be a great existence. It really can't be a great existence. Uh, moving on. Southampton won Leicester. Sorry, Southampton won Leeds nil. Um Really disappointing performance from Leeds. Probably the worst I've seen them under Bielsa. They were really, really off the pace in this one. But credit to Southampton. Southampton were very, very good. They created a lot of chances. They probably should have scored more than one. They defended very well for the most part. One moment where I thought Salisu made a mistake, misjudged the bounce of a ball, and uh, gave Leeds a half chance, but it came to nothing in the end. Dan James couldn't take advantage. But other than that, I, I did think Southampton back to front looked really, really good. Really solid, well-balanced. I think that Bednarak-Salisu partnership is really starting to come together at centre-back. For the most part, they were excellent. thought Diallo looked really good in midfield. Really liked how they countered with El Yanassi on one side and Gineppo on the other. Uh, they scored a very good goal. Again, a counter-attack. Gineppo led it. Slipped in Redmond. Redmond found Broja seven or eight yards out from goal. Really nice finish. Dreadful defending from Liam Cooper, who managed to play everybody on side, being eight yards deeper than the rest of the defenders. But I thought Saints were good value for the win and probably should have won more comfortably. If Nathan Redmond wasn't Mr. Irrational Confidence and wasn't shooting from 25 yards with no clear view of the goal, I do think Southampton could have worked a few better chances and scored a few more goals. But this is a really big win for the Saints. 
really important for them to get their first win of the season. Bumps them up the table a little bit. Um, into 15th, they go ahead of Watford. They go ahead of Leeds. They create a gap between themselves, Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich. Very, very good win for Southampton. And Ralph got his tactics spot on. Thought he outcoached Bielsa throughout the game. And hopefully, we've seen Southampton before be one of those streaky teams who get a win and go and put a bunch of results together. Hopefully for them, this can be the start of something. Nice way to come back from back-to-back defeats. So all things considered, I think Southampton will be thrilled. More with the performance than even the result. The result is great, but the performance was very, very strong. For Leeds... I'm not going to say it's time to start getting a little bit concerned, but this was dreadful. And this is one of a few dreadful performances they've put in this season. They were awful against Liverpool. Absolutely shocking. You know, they they weren't great against Newcastle. They were okay against West Ham. Thought they did all right against Watford last time out, but... You know, this game, the Liverpool game, the United game on the first day of the season. They weren't particularly good against Burnley. Uh, they don't look the same. Now, they, they haven't yet been able to get their best eleven on the pitch. But in this league, you rarely do. I really do think they're going to have to take a long look at Liam Cooper, though. And really consider moving him out of the team. I know he's the club captain. But he is such a liability defensively. He's got no pace. He can't read the defensive line. The mistakes that he made in the championship that you could get away with in the championship, you're not getting away with them in the Premier League. Loriente is very, very good. But they've got to get the right person next to him. Maybe that's Struyck. He didn't have a great game of the weekend either. Robin Cock, I'm not sure when he's due back. But it can't come soon enough for Leeds. They've got to get him back, get him in the team. Uh, there's no return date. He He's in the United States having surgery. So it doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon. Missing Patrick Bamford, missing Calvin Phillips takes away two linchpin performers. And obviously no Rafinha for this game either. But... They've got to get that situation at centre-back sorted. You cannot continue to play Liam Cooper. He is just going to cost you more and more points as the weeks go by. Uh, Next up then, Manchester United with a very, very bizarre performance in a 4-2 defeat away to Leicester City. Mason Greenwood put United one up on 19 minutes with a sensational goal. One of those goals where Bruno Fernandes gets an assist and you really do have to sit and look and think, what is the point of tallying assists? When it's a four-yard pass to somebody who then does what Greenwood has to do. Uh, Unbelievable goal. Brilliant shot. Swerving away from the goalkeeper off his left foot. Just phenomenal. If you haven't seen it. Go and watch it. It is one of the best strikes. Just a hit that you'll see this season. Leicester equalised 12 minutes later. Slabhead Maguire, who we were told wasn't fit. Ollie said he's out for a few weeks. But no, back in the team and back to helping the opposition. 
Simple ball played to him. Seems to have no awareness that Ianacho is about to pressure. Stands waiting for the ball rather than moving towards it where he can just put his foot through it and waft it away. Ianacho takes it off him, feeds it back to Tielemans, and it's a beautiful clipped finish. Edge of the box, into the far top corner. Absolutely meant it. There's, some people suggested it was a cross. This was a shot. A great goal from Yuri Thielemans. The second half, Leicester were the better team, no doubt. Thielemans brought a great save out of De Gea. I thought Ollie would have the balls to take Maguire off at halftime. He did not. And Maguire set about a single-handed demolition of his own team. On 78, Sionchu makes it 2-1. Who's playing him on side, yet not making any kind of challenge on him? Harry Maguire, outstanding. Marcus Rashford made it 2-2 on seven on 82. Really good pass from Lindelof over the top. Rashford runs on. Great to see him back, playing and scoring. Really good finish pass, Kasper Schmeichel. Then the comedy really started. Leicester tipped off. Played a simple ball to the left. Juan Bissaka, for no reason at all, clatters into somebody, takes the man, misses the ball. The ball runs loose to Ozzy Perez. Harry Maguire is marking Jamie Vardy in the box and then runs away from him. Actually runs away from him. Leaves Vardy free, 10 yards out, top bins, 3-2. And on 91, it's a set piece. By the way, Juan Bissaka should have been sent off. For his challenge. I think it was on Castanier in the lead up to the Vardy goal. Um, it's a set piece. Thielemans is taking it. Maguire is all at sea. Again, marking somebody, but not actually doing anything about it. And Patson Daka somehow finds himself with a yard of space while a yard out from goal. Maguire stands and looks at him and does nothing. And uh, yeah, it's it's 4 2 to Leicester. It's a great win. It takes a lot of the pressure off Brendan Rodgers. It puts them up to 11th in the table. They'll still not be happy with that. They've still got a negative goal differential. They've only won three of their eight games. The European form hasn't been good. But it is now three games in a row without defeat. So that's promising. Um, Leicester played some really good football. Even with some of the players they were missing, it was still a strong eleven that Rodgers was able to put forward. Casper and goal. Amarty you wouldn't be ideal with, but Evans and Sionchu is two of your three centre-backs. Pereira and Castanier is your wing-backs. Tielemans and Sumare ran all over the United midfield. Madison is the Tani and Acho and Vardy up front. And then you still had the likes of Daka, Pitt Perez, Harvey Barnes on the bench. He brought on Vestigard for reasons known only to Brendan. But um, all things considered... Very, very good performance from Leicester. Just dominated United. And United just looked so unbalanced. I mean, this... De Gea cost 20 million 10 years ago. That's probably 100 million now in, in with, with you know the way the transfer market has gone. Juan Bissaka was a 50 million pound buy. Lindelof was 30. Shaw was 35 in 2014. That's probably 70 now. Uh, Maguire was 80 million. Like, that's a ridiculously expensive defence to look that bad. De Gea played well. 
made a couple of good saves, couldn't really do anything about the goals, just so badly let down by what was in front of him. And none more so than Maguire, who was absolutely appalling. That's as bad a centre-back display as you'll ever see from someone who's allegedly a top centre-back. And people want to put this guy, he's one of the three or four best defenders in the league. No, he's not. Harry Maguire is not one of the five, six, seven best centre-backs in the league. Not a hope. Not a hope. He's too slow. He doesn't read the game well at all. He's not mobile enough. Like, three of those goals. Forget the first one. The first one has just been laps on the ball. The second, third, and fourth one are just down to a lack of awareness in reading the game. Play Sayonchu one side and yet is too far away from him to make a tackle despite only being about three feet away from him. Runs away from Vardy because he misjudges where Perez is going to put the ball. Doesn't let Vardy make the decision on where to go for the ball. Makes the decision and lets Vardy have a load of space. And then the, the, the Pats and Daka one. I genuinely don't know what it is that he's doing. I genuinely don't know. Now, look, he is coming back from an injury, but this is not new. These are not mistakes that Maguire hasn't made before. These are all things he does fairly regularly. He doesn't necessarily do it as many times per game. There might be one a game where you just look at it and think, my God, who paid money for him? But I don't want to hear his name brought up in discussions about the best defenders in the league. I really don't, because he's not in that group. And it's not a particularly elite level group of Premier League defenders. But he's certainly not among the elite of them. He had a good World Cup in 2018. And his price, his value seemed to go from maybe 30, 35 million before that tournament to the 80 million the United ridiculously ended up paying for him. And it certainly wasn't based on his league displays. It certainly wasn't based on what he was doing in the league for Leicester. Really don't understand that one. Uh, That back four was all over the place. The midfield was a mess. Matic is a corpse at this point. And Pogba, I mean, I I don't know how many times we need to see Pogba in a midfield too before people just stop suggesting he should play in a midfield too. You basically played a back four which lacks pace. Matic, who has no pace. And then a front five, because Pogba had no interest in doing any defensive work. And when you play a team with Pogba and Cristiano, you're asking for trouble. There's going to be no defensive work done at all. None. It's not like Sancho and Greenwood are known for their defensive work. Bruno gets through a ton of it, but this was really poor. So unbalanced. It was like a team picked by a kid on FIFA. And I know that's my second FIFA uh, mention of the the podcast, but it is what that was like. It really is what that was like. Really poor from United. Really good for Leicester. United dropped to sixth in the table. Tottenham and Brighton Both move above them. They're level on points with Everton and West Ham. And to be fair, 
It's about where they should be. They have not been good this season. And it's not just the results. Even when they've won games, they haven't played well. Moving on. Can't spend too much time on that. Not today. Uh, Norwich nil. Brighton nil. Um, Not a whole bunch happened in this game. Uh, Tim Krul made a couple of good saves. One from Lalana, One from Trossard. Neil Mopé could have had a penalty. Was a judge to have dived. Should have been booked if he was a judge to have dived, to be fair. But they did look like there was a little bit of contact. Um, Josh Sargent had the only real chance for Norwich after uh, Robert Sanchez made a mess of a clearance. But he didn't, he didn't hit the ball hard enough. And it dribbled towards the goal and was easily cleared. Uh, good point for Norwich. They needed it. They desperately needed this point just to get some points on the board. But they're still without a win through eight games. Only the two goals scored. Things need to improve for Norwich. But back-to-back draws is a good start. And this is a good result because Brighton are fourth. So whether they they end up there or not is irrelevant. They're fourth at the moment. Uh, We'll move on from that one because there's not a whole lot to talk about in a a nil-nil draw like that. And we will move on to Aston Villa against Wolves. Aston Villa go 2-0 up in the second half. 0-0 at halftime. Not a whole bunch happens in the first half. Danny Ings puts Villa 1-up on 48. Really good header. John McGinn makes it 2 on 68. Little bit of luck involved. A good strike takes a deflection, I think, off Neves and beats Jose Sa. 2-0, you think, this this is it. That's game over. There's no way Wolves are coming back into this game, not with how Wolves have played this season. But we didn't factor in the Tyron Mings tax on this one. Villa's defence just crumbled. Romain Sice made it 2-1 on 80. Uh, Tyron Ming all over the place, not marking his man. And Sice makes it 1. 85 minutes. Connor Cody, a bit of a fluke, kind of hits him more than anything else. But in it goes. And in the replay we see Tyron Ming and Axel Tunzebi doing crazy things, playing people onside and missing the ball and generally just being hopeless. Tunzebi's a little bit unlucky. He tries to clear it. It kind of hits Cody and goes in. And then on 95 minutes, Ruben Neves steps up to take a free kick. Big deflection. And in it goes Wolves 3, Villa 2. A very undeserved victory for Wolves, it must be said. But a win is a win is a win, and they will absolutely take that one and be thrilled by it. Wolves jump to 10th in the league. That's three wins in a row. They've got 12 points. They're ahead of Leicester, level on points with Brentford. They'll be absolutely delighted. For Villa, it's back-to-back defeats, both of which I think they'll be disappointed by, especially considering Tottenham were in poor form when they played them last week. And then Wolves at home is a game they would have expected to win. 
they're still comfortable in mid-table, but I do think there's going to be pressure on Smith, uh, on Dean Smith this year, to get top four. Not top four, sorry. European football, or at least challenge for it. I think he's got to. With the money they've spent since they've come up, I really do think he's got to. Now, they're no worse now than they were last season, but they're no better now than they were last season. They're still waiting on Buendia to establish himself, waiting on Leon Bailey to come back uh, from the injury. They've still got, you know, those two players to be added into this team will make a big difference. But I really do feel like Dean Smith playing this back three is just, it's not getting the most out of his players, I don't think, anyway. I'll be interested to see what they look like in six weeks once Bailey and, and Buendia are back, fit, and in the team. I wonder, will they be a 4-4-2 team? I think that would suit them better. Um, I don't think Matt Target is necessarily very comfortable as a wing-back. I think he is more of a full-back. He's good going forward, but I think he likes to be a full-back. Matty Cash is playing well as a wing-back, but he's also a good full-back. But he was a winger to begin with. Whereas Matt Target's always been a fullback. Um, we'll take a break and we'll leave it at that for the moment. Uh, when we come back, we have four more games to get into. And we'll probably just wrap up with some gossip and be done for the day. So I'll see you in a moment. Right, welcome back. So, uh, next up then, Manchester City 2, Burnley nil. Massive credit to Burnley for multiple reasons here. Number one, they didn't get beaten 5-0. So, that's huge progress for Burnley, who traditionally get walloped when they go to the Etihad. But, they also played well. And they had a couple of really good chances. And potentially could have snuck the draw here. Now, there's no doubt City were the better team. They dominated the ball. They had the most chances. They pulled some good saves out of Nick Pope, who normally turns up at the Etihad and plays as if he's Asmir Begovic. Today, he turned up, or Saturday, he turned up and played like he was Nick Pope. Uh, I thought Collins at centre-back was outstanding for Burnley. I thought he was absolutely excellent. Him and Tarkovsky very quickly have formed a good partnership the midfield played well. They got through a lot of work, but they, they passed the way through City a couple of times. Uh, I thought Dwight McNeil, that that chance he created for Max Cornet was excellent. And he, he should score. Cornet was through with the keeper. 1v1. It's on his weaker foot, but he should do better. He really should do better. Uh, Josh Brownhill had the other really good chance to him, but his left-footed shot was just out of the reach of Chris Wood, who maybe could have reacted a bit better and he would have had a simple tap-in, but it is what it is. Uh, City had gone one up through Bernardo Silva after 12 minutes. A Phil Foden shot. Pope makes a good save. Silva is on the spot to tap home. And you kind of felt like this is going to be a walloping again, but it wasn't to be. Burnley came back in and, like I said, could very easily have been 2-1 up before City get their second goal which comes from Kevin De Bruyne. It's a little bit of a scrum in the box. Ball bounces loose or breaks loose, and De Bruyne just puts his left foot through it and sends it flying into the far corner. Pope has no chance. City played well. 
Uh, not to say that they didn't, but I really did think Burnley caused some problems and could very well have gotten a draw. They also pulled a good save out of Zach Steffen. So uh, credit to Burnley. I think they come out of that game with things they can build on. They're still in the bottom three. They still haven't won. They've got three points. They're three behind leads. They will need to start picking up wins because they don't want a gap to form above them. You look at Leeds, Watford, Southampton, and Palace. Leeds are a point ahead. The other three are four. Sorry, Leeds are three points ahead. The other three are four points ahead. Above that is Arsenal on ten. That's seven ahead of Burnley. Burnley can't afford to lose a game and have a couple of those move further away. They're going to need to win a game very soon, and they're going to need some of those other teams to start falling down. Now, up next, they do have Southampton. So there's a potential, you know, six-pointer there, a gap-closing game. Win that one, you're only going to be a point behind them. If Watford were to lose their next game, which seems likely given how they played the weekend, they'll only be a point ahead. You know, Leeds could well lose their next game and then you'd be level and then you'd actually probably have more points or more goals than them. Um, So Burnley need results to start going in their favour very soon. But this performance was positive and comes off two draws, so things are picking up a little bit for Sean Dyche's men. But this is back-to-back seasons. They've made the same type of dreadful start. They worked their way out of it last year. I'd always back Dyche to work his way out of it this year. It's going to be tough, though, because you'd look at the league and you'd say, right, Norwich, they'll probably go down at this point. Newcastle looked like a team destined for relegation, and Watford looked like a team who could well go down. So there's three who will be worse than than Burnley, and Burnley will manage to stay up. But Newcastle have have all the money now, so we don't know what's going to happen with them. We'll speak about them in a few minutes, but it it does look a little bit tighter for, for Burnley. You know, there's only two obvious relegation candidates now in Norwich and Watford. Southampton could be in that mix. Palace could fall off and end up in that mix. If Leeds don't sort things out, they could be in the mix. And there's no guarantee Newcastle won't be in the mix either. But it does just make things a little bit harder if Newcastle do something in January that turns their season round that Burnley can't do, that the rest can't do. It takes away the potential group of teams who could go down and moves that from seven to six then you're, you've got a one in four chance of going down as opposed to the one in five that you would have had with, um, with Newcastle still being there. Anyway, to move on. Into the Sunday games. No, we still have one more from Saturday. My mistake, we have one more from Saturday. Chelsea won Brentford nil. I still don't know how Chelsea won this game. I still have no idea. They got comprehensively outplayed. Yes, their goalkeeper made a number of very good saves, but let's not pretend he wasn't beaten three times. Brentford hit the post twice, and he was nowhere near either of them. They also had a shot cleared off the line, and he was nowhere near that either. Brentford were robbed of a blatant penalty because of an early offside flag. Really, really poor 
what part of the rules of the game does that night linesman not understand? You cannot raise your flag until the phase of play plays out. Ivan Tony was clearly onside. It's a blatant penalty. Now, credit to Edward Mendy. He did make some excellent saves. He's very, very brave in one instance and got hit right in the face with the ball of short distance, but made some great saves, kept his team in it. It's what he's paid to do. But Chelsea did not deserve to win this game. Now, they did have the ball in the net in the first half. A well-worked chance from Werner. Tapped home by Lukaku, ruled out for offside. And Ben Chilwell made it 1-0 just before half-time. Really nice left-footed half-volley from the edge of the box. Really good goal, but that was kind of it. That's their only shot on target in the whole game, was the Chilwell goal. They had five shots in the entire 90 minutes. Brentford at 17 with seven on target. If the two Embuomo ones that hit the post, if they fall to Ivan Tony, it's a different game. It was a good game of football. It was a bit mental. The last 20 minutes were crazy. Brentford battered Chelsea. Chelsea clung on by the skin of their teeth. Uh, I just, just, I don't know how Chelsea won the game. But when it they did, and top of the table they are. And they won't care about the performance. All they will care about is the result. They have been able to grind out these results under Thomas Tuchel. It says a lot about their mindset. It says a lot about their desire to defend. Credit to them. Only conceded the three goals this season. Uh, but really, really rode their luck at the weekend. And you do just wonder if that were to happen against a slightly better team than Brentford, would they be able to to see it out? Chelsea look disjointed at the moment. Like things aren't really flowing for them in midfield. Now, I thought Loftus-Cheek had a good first 30 minutes and then faded out of the game a bit. But he's still working his way back in. Um, I'm just not sure about what Chelsea's best 11 is. As yet, I don't think Tuchel is quite sure either. You know, he's trying different things. He he had Mason Mount coming off the bench. He's tried uh, Chalaba in the back three a few times. And look, he, the guy does his best, but he's not, he's not quite ready yet. He's not really a Premier League centre-back. He's probably more of a holding midfielder at the Premier League level, in truth. Uh, he's clearly a good player. But in a back three, he gets away with it. I don't think he would in a back four. Um, Brentford can feel themselves very unlucky. Very, very unlucky. And unfortunately, because of the way results went this weekend, they actually dropped uh, quite a few places down to ninth. But they can be very, very proud of how their season's going, how they've performed so far, and the fact that they've played the top two and could easily have won both games could easily have won both games. They've given both everything they could handle and um, and can be very proud of themselves. They look like they absolutely belong in the Premier League. That's all you can really say. Uh, moving in then to Sunday, West Ham won Everton nil at Goodison Park. West Ham started better. Everton really struggled to get out of the blocks in this one. They did have their moments, Everton. Um, Iwobi should have scored after really good work from Damari Gray 
Iwobi was awful. And I, and I like Alex Iwobi. I think I, I, I don't think he's a great player, but he's, he's a decent player. He's certainly good enough to play in the Premier League, uh, if not a £35 million player, whatever it was Everton paid for him. But he had an absolute stinker here. That's a really, really bad performance by him. Everton clearly missing Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. There's just no way to replace them with their squad. But all things considered, a really flat performance from the home side. Whereas I thought West Ham played well. I, I do think West Ham played well. Bowen looked bright. Ben Rama was lively. Fornals was constantly involved. Antonio led the line well. Rice and Suchek did their thing in midfield. Uh, the goal comes from Jordan Pickford having tiny little short arms. Uh, a goalkeeper with normal, you know, regular length arms um, doesn't give away that corner. Antonio jumps straight up in the air, does nothing wrong. Pickford is one of those modern goalkeepers that seems to think that nobody should be allowed to challenge him. And he goes up and he flaps and fumbles at the ball and he puts it out for a corner and then cries and tries to get a free kick because Antonio was in his vicinity. Nonsensical. Corner comes in. Really good whip on the corner. Ogbonna with the header. And it's it's 1-0 West Ham. It's no less than they deserved. It's a great win for West Ham. I thought they played very well throughout. Rice and Suchek in midfield, just those two against Dekure and Alain, so important because Dekure and Alain have been really good this season. But I thought Rice and Suchek coped with them really, really well. Stopped Dekure having much influence with his power and his pace on the break. And like I say, the three that played behind Antonio, I think they all had had good performances. Um, so West Ham will be delighted. Raf will be a little bit disappointed, I'd imagine, but they're now uh, West Ham 7th, Everton 8th. I think if you'd given Rafa 8th at this point at the start of the season, I think he probably would have taken it. You know, it's a tough job. No no Calvert-Lewin, no, no Richarlison at the moment. Not a whole lot of great attackers. I mean, you're playing Solomon Rondon, who he does a job. He'll lead the line, he'll battle, he'll win the ball, he'll, he'll hold things up. He's not going to score you many goals if we're all being truthful. That's not really his game. Um, he's more the bustly type of fella who will create opportunities for others. Rafa adores him, though, so it is what it is. Um, but th- the sooner they get Calvert-Lewin back, the better. He's so important to them. And he's such a he's such a unique striker as well that he makes it very hard for the teams to uh, to plan against him. And final game then of the weekend, Newcastle 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3. Uh, Saudi's out. Is that the shout, Jet? Um, first things first, this game was interrupted in the first half as a Newcastle fan was taken ill. A uh, very scary moment. Massive credit to the players who alerted the referee and the medical staff to the incident. Credit to the fans who got the word through to the players. And then obviously huge credit goes to the doctor who happened to be in the stands and came down to help. And then the medical staff who rushed over. Massively important that we have defibrillators at football stadiums. Massively, massively important that they are at every single game. Because that defibrillator saves someone's life. 
Thankfully, the fan is in a stable condition now, alert, awake, talking, you know, in recovery. Hopefully makes a full recovery. Uh, but a scary moment, and obviously that had the referee handle it very well to send the players in. Sky handled it well to bring co- uh, coverage right back to the studio and not focus on what was going on. Hopefully lessons learned from the Ericsson incident in the summer. Um, Callum Wilson had put Newcastle one up on two minutes. A good header from a really good Javi Mankio cross. Tangai Endembele made it 1-1 on 17. He played really well and he deserved his goal. Um, Newcastle just couldn't find him at times in the pitch. He was just everywhere. But great strike from the edge of the box. Harry Kane made it two on 22 minutes. Simple ball over the top. Kane runs onto it, lifts it over the goalkeeper. Initially flagged offside, but VAR shows that Javi Manquillo played him onside and the celebrations could begin. And then right on the stroke of halftime, after the players had come back out, that is, uh, Youngman's son makes a three. Again, good work from Kane. Makes a run off the shoulder. Ball's played through to him. Square ball across and some with the tap in. It's the same goal we've seen Spurs score over and over again. I will say Kane looked fitter and fresher in this game. He looked lighter as well. He looked like he only had one arse as opposed to two. Um, I will say that their jersey is appalling. It looks like something that you would see in some sort of startup American indoor soccer league. Uh, so that's a big no to the Spurs purple and green experiment. Um, but Kane looked good. That's the most important thing here. Kane looked good in the first half. Tired a bit in the second half, must be said. But um, John Joe Shelby found himself sent off on 83. Shelby had already come on as a substitute, but was booked early. Uh, was booked on 78. He should have probably been sent off. It's a really bad foul on Endombele. And it probably is a red card foul. He'd only been on the pitch 18 minutes at that point, And maybe the referee just took a little bit of pity on him. But three, uh, five minutes later, off he goes. He's caught out of position. The defence is all over the place as Newcastle tried to attack. Regulon breaks and Shelby has no real choice but to foul him. He has to foul him. There's no there's no real option. I saw Alan Shearer criticise the red card. The issue is the yellow card he got beforehand. I don't think this one is necessarily a bad a bad decision by Shelby. The first one was shocking though. Uh, Eric Dyer put through his own net on 89 to make it 3 2. And give Newcastle uh, some late hope. Normally I would take this opportunity to slander Eric Dyer. But given his actions uh, in helping the, the fan who'd fallen sick. I will I will take no such chance. Uh, credit to Eric Dyer. He comes out of this game with more good than bad. Regardless of the own goal. Um, Newcastle looked void of ideas. They looked... They look like, I say this regularly about teams, they look like a gang of lads that turned up an hour before kickoff, having half of them never met before. Like, like you know when you're playing five aside or whatever and you're short numbers and you ring someone and you say, look, can you, can you play five aside and bring someone with you? And they turn up with their cousin who's in town for the weekend and 
doesn't really play football, but like is a big lummox and just runs into people. Maybe he plays a bit of hurling or something down in Kilkenny, something like that. Or, you know, in, in, in UK terms, it might be that they turn up with their cousin from Wales who spends most of his days chasing sheep or whatever it is they do in Wales. And, um, he can't really play, but you have to stick with him. So you play, you go stand on the wing and he just runs around. That's kind of what Newcastle looked like. Gang of lads running around. They scored. And then Steve Bruce decided, we're one up. Let's get really open here. No defensive structure. No solidity. Don't bother tracking runners. Let's just have a laugh. Really, really bad. Really, really bad. It, the, the Bruce thing can't go on much longer. Surely it can't go on much longer. Surely that is his last game as Newcastle manager. You, you would have to hope it will be his last game as Newcastle manager for, for the sake of both himself and Newcastle fans. Um, I will leave it there for today. I will f- finish up with Garth Crooks and his team of the week, which we always like to take a look at. Uh, he went with Eduard Mendy in goal. I have no issue there. But he picked like Bonna at centre-back. And I'm going to say no on that one. Because what little defending he had to do, I don't think he did all that well. Garth has put him in the team because he scored. Um, so I'm going to say no there. He went for Van Dijk. I didn't really have any defending to do. Watford didn't really attack. Uh, he picked Sionchu again. He scored. He also played Rashford on side for his goal, so I don't know. De Bruyne had a quiet enough game. Declan Rice, no problem, played really well. Bernardo Silva played well. Endebele played well. He went with Salah, Kane, and Firmino up front. Not really going to argue with any of those, but I think the defence is, is poor. He's, he's picked two defenders because they've scored, and he's picked one because his name's Virgil van Dijk. He hasn't really picked them on merit of performance. If he had, I don't know how Salisu wouldn't be one of them, as I thought he was really good. Um, really not sure why Ethan Pinnock wasn't picked, because he was excellent for Brentford. Absolutely excellent. I think those two, if you want to pick Van Dyke, that's fine, but Salisu and Ethan Pinnock should have been in the team. There's just no doubt. And as for De Bruyne, I, I just... I, he scored, but I don't think he played brilliantly. Not really sure who you'd go for instead. Maybe Yuri Thielemans, who actually was very, very good against United. Maybe Yuri Thielemans. Um, but yeah, for Leicester to score four, only get one player in, and it's a defender, is a bit weird. Uh, but Garth Crooks is a weird guy who only watches Match of the Day. So we will leave it there for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.